Ho, ho, ho! Coming up on this episode of East Screen, West Screen. We're reflecting back at 2016, talk about the Love HK Film Awards, and we offer our reviews of Swordmaster and Star Wars Rogue One. This is East Screen, West Screen with Paul and Kevin, where if films were food, they'd be full of it. Hello and welcome to another episode of East Screen, West Screen. This is the show where we talk about film from Hong Kong to Hollywood and some other stuff in between. I'm your host, Paul Fox, sitting in sunny South Florida and sitting at his reviews desk inside a Chinese brothel is Mr. Kevin Ma. I, I'm just renting a hot desk, okay? I'm not doing anything else here. Okay, yeah. Yeah, just a hot desk. Hey, Paul, how are you? How's it going? Happy holidays, sir. Happy holidays. We are also very fortunate to have joining us on this very special final episode of the 2016 season, the guy who goes by the name of Kozo, that is Mr. Ross Chen. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hello, sir. Happy holidays. Um, Thanks. Uh, same to you. It's... uh. It's got five more days till Christmas, in my count anyway. So it's Happy Dolidays or Merry Christmas. I, I don't even know what we're supposed to say anymore. Go if, ahead. If the war on Christmas is still on, I don't know if we can say that, right? It's, uh, it's... I, I work with British people, so they refuse to say Happy Holidays. They only say Merry Christmas. Okay. So, really? So. Wow. British people suck. Happy Festivus, <laughs> right? Whatever works. <laughs> I think Hanukkah is still going on. Yeah. Um, so what about this Kwanzaa? Is... Whatever happened to that? Okay, but, but go ahead. Go ahead. Sorry. I think that's still a thing, right? <laughs> I do. You know, I, I don't know. The thing changes every year. Um, Happy holidays definitely still a thing. I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. That, that that's the generic, uh, bland way of, of trying to be nice. So this is our final episode for the 2016 season. Um, so I thought it'd be a good chance to sit down with Kevin and with Ross to talk about their thoughts on the film season coming out of Hong Kong for 2016. Um, how they felt about the year or any particular things that popped out with Hong Kong cinema, Chinese cinema, or Asian cinema in general that, um, you know, really kind of made them happy or things they, that were overly disappointing, Cold War II. Um, I will say <laughs> that um, for myself, I just finally was able to sit down and watch Train to Busan, which we talked about way back in summer of 2016. Kevin had mentioned... Uh, the film, uh, given his some of his thoughts on it and talked about how it was doing gangbuster business throughout Asia. It finally dropped over on um, Amazon and I was able to rent it and watch it. And my wife and I both really liked it. I think it uh, I think Kevin touched on these points, the idea of it being having a lot of the standard zombie tropes that are very common to, you know, all the, going all the way back to the George Romero films and things that have been, been done since then and things that you see if you watch The Walking Dead, for example. Um, but it was also refreshing to see a kind of different take culturally on it. So there's, you know, there's a lot of similar characters, but characters that are much more rooted in Korean culture. The one thing that was refreshing was anytime you watch an American zombie film, you're pretty much waiting for the redneck to show up, right? Or the prepper or the survivalist guy with lots and lots of guns, 
Um, and because you have a culture in Korea where gun ownership is not really part of the culture, you have people dealing with it in very different ways. So it was, for me, very refreshing on that front. Um, I think if you're a hardcore zombie fan and you're looking to, you know, for the sort of cannibalistic side of it, um, the gore side of it is very downplayed, which works for me, but I have friends who are very much into, you know, the, the high levels of gore for films, and they might think it's a bit tame. But I think, for me, the exciting thing was sort of the cultural portrayal portrayals of the characters in it. I did think that the epidemic kind of went way too fast based on the fact that this was just supposed to be a train ride that lasts for, what, a couple hours? And it seemed like from what started out as spotty news reports, suddenly it was like everywhere. Um, but besides, aside from that, I really, really enjoyed it. Um, look forward to watching it again uh, at some point. I'd like to um, see if there's maybe like an extended edition or something that comes out uh, a bit further uh, down the line. Um, Kevin, do you remember back to when you saw this? Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, I do. And and you were talking about the cultural part of it. Um, but I, I appreciate sort of the speed of the whole thing. Because, I mean, the whole thing takes place on a high-speed high speed train. And, and you, it's matched by the, the speed of the zombies. And there's a certain intensity to it. And I, and I appreciated the, the, the fact that the film didn't use very familiar sort of horror tricks you know, jump scare. There's not many jump scare in a film, which I appreciate it as someone who hates jump scare. And it's still a very intense film. Um, the only thing I... The thing is, it's not really a top 10 film for me because it just felt too familiar. The cliche, the... Um, like you said, instead of survivalist, we get the middle-aged middle-aged man who, who, you know, is the sort of survivalist on his, in his own way. Um and you got the whole, you know, high school student, and you got, you know, the and a lot of people acting stupid, which is also a, a sort of a trademark uh, cliche of the the genre. Um, but yeah, I, I I still like the film a lot, and I think it's quite refreshing for the genre, and uh, it's definitely a very enjoyable film. Yeah, and I think for for me too, because of the level of quality that they put into it, you know, Korean cinema typically pays a lot of attention to things like sound design and cinematography and lighting and those kinds of elements it's really nice to see um what we would consider not maybe a horror film but also a little bit over into the into the science fiction side of things um these are not really undead zombies they're more of the 28 days later um, biological rage zombies in a sense um but i think they do they they portray it slightly differently especially some of the body movements that they end up using I, I don't know if they got really good contortionists or or there was some cgi going on but it was re some really effective stuff um almost to the level of some of what you see the ghost from grudge or um uh what was well, not not the grudge um what was the tv one uh the ring the ring you know doing ring, times. The it's, ring. Just, it's just really creepy yeah. um and i think that was really really effective and, and i just like the fact that you've got them you know, sort of pushing their own science fiction forward and hopefully this will inspire um some you know future adventures or experiments in in this area for korean cinema or, or other asian cinemas as well uh ross did well you... if you um no go sorry what... if you're talking about if you're talking about a train of Pusan, unfortunately no i was not able to go see it i uh 
I skipped it. It's coming on Blu-ray soon. And I'll probably check it out then. And Hong Kong, well, that is. Hong Kong Blu-ray. Right. I, I want to add that, you know, Paul, you're talking about the, the contortions and the, the action. Um, if you like that kind of stuff, I think you should watch uh, the Japanese zombie film, I Am a Hero. Uh, that film actually also shot a, a good part of it in Korea and used a Korean choreography team for the uh, action of the zombies. So you can see um, where or you can see similarities between the action of the zombie in those two films. Uh, again, the zombies in I Am a Hero is also very nimble and they, they move very quickly. And they, they actually do even have designed particular movements for different characters from different walks of life, different zombies from different walks of, of life. So the sort of big baddie, um, he's actually um, a, a track and field uh, athlete. So he, he keeps trying to do a high jump, uh, which is kind of cool. And they see that while the other zombies in the film. So that's really cool. Um, also, if you're looking to see a backstory, you might think that uh, the director, the, the director of the film, he's an anima animation director. And he did a film called Soul Station, which is supposed to be a prequel to Train to Busan. But if you're looking for like a real backstory to the epidemic, whatever, you're not going to find it in Soul Station because some, once you sort of look closer, you realize that the two stories don't really connect except for the fact that uh, they're set around Soul Station, the train station, and it has zombies. That's pretty much the only commonality. All right. Well, there you have it, folks. Uh, if you are into the zombie genre and, um, you know, you want to look for something a little bit different, do try to check out Train to Busan. It's out there on... Uh, at least on Amazon, it might be coming to Netflix at some point in the future as well. Um, and it's it's one to look for. I, I really enjoyed it. Um, all right, let's shift gears here. I want to go over to um, lovehkfilm.com to talk a little bit about the 21st annual Love HK Film Awards, which were recently posted, uh, at least at the time of this recording. Um, and this is a, you know, a... a how would you describe it, Ross? A, a jury process of sorts? Well, yeah. yeah. You know, it's just seven people we sit down and we discuss and, you know, throw out movies and, and, you know, people who we think deserve some recognition. And you know, just, that's it. You know, decide by the end of the evening and we're, we're done. It's, uh, it used to be a lot more involved, but, you know, we, we kind of had to change it because people didn't have as much time. So, but it, it, even when we get it done in like July, it still takes me like six months to, to write up everything. So that's just really sad. <laughs> Um, but uh, as we look at the at some of the uh, uh, top tier winners, best picture went to Saving Mr. Wu, um, best director Tsui Hark for The Taking of Tiger Mountain, best actress uh, Vicky Zhao Zhaowei for Dearest, um, best actor uh, Wang Qiyun for Saving Mr. Wu. Um, it I mean. I mean We've talked a little bit about this before, sort of the 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 downward spiral spiral of Hong Kong cinema, and the uptick of you know mainland Chinese films in terms of both exposure and in terms of both taking awards at festivals and um, at film awards ceremonies. Is, is do you think this is going to be the status quo going forward that we're just going to see more and more mainland dominance because of budgets and because of uh, the amount of output compared with Hong Kong cinema? Um, well, if you're asking me, I, I think the answer is obviously yes. I mean, the, the, the one negative, of course, that China's, Chinese cinema has, of course, is their censorship issues, which does limit some storytelling. But as a result, because of restrictions, it does force some filmmakers to be uh, more creative with what they do. 
um, Troy Hark is a person who is really uh, who really can work with the uh, with the restrictions. And you know, I think uh, um, same thing with the uh, Saving Mr. Wu director Ding Sheng. He can find ways to work with it too. So it's like uh, having restrictions can, can sometimes make your films uh, make your films more thoughtful. You know, in Hong Kong, you have the, the low budgets. So that's one problem. But you also have the problem that you know people are lazy. So you know, a lot of the big films are, are lazy, and uh, or or like you know, you sometimes we we'll, we will run into ones that don't fit that mold. Like you know, recently we've had some more indie ones, so Weeds on Fire, you know, which still has some Hong Kong filmmaking problems in it. Um, Mad World is another one. Um, those are both indies, and uh, it, you know, films like that will have a chance to like break through, and you know, they can take awards from us maybe once in a while. Like like that happened with Gallants back in two thousand ten, if you recall. Like you know, that went up against. Uh, what was it? Um, the Troy Hark film, uh, Andy Lau. Detective D. Yes, Detective D, and uh, you know it, uh, it. It it came out favorably, and so, you know, there are times when Hong Kong is still going to come out on top. But you know, it's no no offense, but you know, Patrick Kong Wong Jing movie is not going to do it. Um, yeah, go ahead. If I if we could talk about sort of my. And I've done this for about two, three years now. I mean, each of us, we have to come up with a list of uh, top ten films. And I, I admit that I in, I pick mo- most of my top five. I intentionally, not intentionally, but I happen to just end up picking mainland Chinese movies. just because Hong Kong cinema has really been behind. I mean, as much, you know, as, as much as there are crappy films coming out of China, their, their best films beat the best Hong Kong film by a mile. Let's face it. Um, I mean, last year we had I me mean, talk about this top 10 list that we're looking at. You know, we have Saving Mr. Wu. We had uh, um, Blind Massage. We had Gone with the Bullets. And, you know, all those films already uh, beat, or even The Dead End, already beat anything that Hong Kong could produce last year. So it, for me, it's natural that I just end up picking the best film. For me, I it's not that I don't have an attachment to Hong Kong. It's just that I've been so disappointed by Hong Kong cinema. It's just that I have no reason to pick a Hong Kong film for my top five just for the sake of picking a Hong Kong film. Well, the problem is also that, you know, it's just the awards is in itself, it's difficult to quantify because, you know, we, we it's supposed to be, you know, we expanded to include films that are, are made in Hong Kong and, and China that are released here because at some level, we don't have all the information, you know, no one's going to give us like a, a, a checklist like, oh, how many people in the crew? I'm not going to vet it either. Okay, how many people in the crew were, you know, have Hong Kong ID cards, and how much, how what percentage of the budget came from Hong Kong? I mean, come on, like, you know, that that goes on for the Hong Kong Film Awards and for other awards, but you know, no offense, no one's going to give a crap about we what we do. <laughs> so, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to, like I said, I'm not going to vet it for myself. I'm not going to sit here and dig up all the information to see what qualifies for this crap. It's it's just it just doesn't work. I don't have the time, and you know, I don't think anyone does. So well, we do we do take care to you know for example we trade the 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 Hong Kong Film Awards so don't don't say it like we just randomly pick films we actually do no, take no, no, some no, effort but, but to we, make sure that these eligible no but the thing is we do only choose Hong Kong China films and they have that are released here and if it's just a pure China film we will take it so it right. will show up that's why Buy Massage is here Buy Massage has no Hong Kong money no Hong Kong involvement whatsoever but it was released theatrically that's why we included it. You know, so it looks like a bit of an outlier, but you know, there it is. Um, so, you know, in a sense, you, you know, you're right. We we don't just like, just like you know, throw whatever in the pile. But if it's China or Hong Kong, it comes out. It's in. The only big problem we have is Taiwan. You know, we we kind of have to like vet that. But since not as much Taiwan gets released here, it's easier just to exclude those ones. But if I do exclude China films, that that's just hard. 
you know, and and then you know, and then we end up like a where we have a year like what best picture, uh, I don't know, um, Elf for Love, Elf for Life, yeah, uh, you know, actually no, that that never would have happened, okay, but still, what <laughs> remains, you know, you got like we had some really crappy years in the last few years. This actually 2015, and then 2016 actually are better than other years in retrospect, but like 2014, 2013 were just like pure crap, so. There were some bad years. Higher highs, you know, higher highs, lower lows, you know, I think. Um, Yeah, there, There I mean, luckily. There was one year that was absolutely horrible. It was just like the worst year, you know, that I could ever imagine. I'm trying to remember what year it was, but, you know. Probably 2014. I have to look 2014 was pretty shitty. I don't know. It's been been a few shitty years, I think. Yeah, 2014 was the year the highest rated uh, Hong Kong film was one that's not even really available on DVD. Uh, dot to dot, you know, you don't get the Hong Kong until Aberdeen, which, by the way, I don't think is a good film. So this, that went in above my, uh, uh, you know, that that went in. Uh, yeah, the highest rated Hong Kong film that you can actually see is Aberdeen from 2014, and that went in, and I didn't even like it that much. And then in that case, then the highest rated film is Kung Fu Jungle. So yeah, that was like the worst year ever. <laughs> All right. Well, before we move on and get into our reviews for this week, um, let me just ask, uh, let me start with Ross and then move over to Kevin. If there was one film, uh, Asian film, not just Hong Kong film or China film, but an Asian film um, that you were going to recommend from 2016 people to go out and watch, what would it be? Hi. Wow. Uh, Good question. You You got me. I don't think about this stuff. Uh, <laughs> I really don't. Um, I, I, I'm trying to remember when I saw this, but it was last year. Our Little Sister was last year, right? 2015? It was 2015. Yeah, yeah, this yeah. year is after the storm. Okay, okay, well, okay. I haven't seen that yet. Our Little Sister I thought was great. But, you know, that was 2016, so that's behind. You know, I, I really enjoyed The Wailing. You know, I, I don't know if that's the one I would choose necessarily, but it just jumped out at me. I thought the whaling was good. Korean. Um, Kevin, how about you? Can name three. <laughs> I had three. Um, well, one of it is, is, is a Thai film called Heart Attack, which I've been talking about for, for a while now. It's a um, film by Nawapo. Really long Thai last name. I can't say it. But uh, it's a it's a comedy about a freelancer uh, design designer um, who who has to either choose his career or his health. And it's a really really funny film. It's on iTunes uh, everywhere. I think so. That one's easy to see. Um, another one that I recommend is a Korean film called The World of Us. It's about um, bullying, but not in the way that other not in the way that other Korean indie films uh, handle bullying it's a very tender very um, gentle tale about you know two young girls who um, are so sort of separated you know spread apart and it's such a heartbreaking and such a great depiction of bullying that it makes you hate people with friends um, I really like this film I, and I usually hate movies about bullying and I really end up loving this film I, I'm, I was quite surprised uh, and the third is um, another Korean documentary I uh, I saw in Busan. It's called Weekends. It's about a uh, a gay gay men choir in Seoul, and I think it's just one of those really timely 
films that I think everyone should watch, especially in the post-truth, the new alt-right era. I think it's a very um, it's it's a film that encourages sort of acceptance and diversity, and it's such a great great film. And yeah, I think all those three. All right, some interesting picks. Uh, for, I've heard good things about The Wailing too, and in fact, it's out there on Netflix. I've downloaded it. I just haven't had a chance to watch it yet but uh so you have to carve out like two and a half hours yeah for listeners out there there's some uh picks for you to try and track down if you've got some uh extra slots for movie watching before the new year starts um anything on the horizon you guys are excited about that you know about coming in 2017 so um, I was well. This was going to be a news item, but uh, Love Off the Cuff, the third film in the Panho Churn um, after Love in a Buff, just finished shooting today. Um, so I'm really excited to see that in 2017. Um, there's the the um, Journey to the West sequel with uh, Trey Hark and Stephen Chow, uh, produced by Stephen Chow. Um, I'm excited to to see that. Um, yeah, those two off the top of my head. Yeah. Anything for you, Ross? No, no. <laughs> okay. Let's just get through the let's just, get through the rest of this year. He first. just takes what yeah. comes, right? And, um, um, and, well, and pretty much at this point, I mean, like you know, it's like, oh, this is coming out. Yeah, I guess I'll have to catch it. So, and yeah, so I, I'm I'm thinking, and you know, you know, I got yeah, you know, uh, other than the Troy Hawk one, I can't think of anything and off the top of my head. That, you know, just to clarify, but, we're not getting a Vegas to Macau four, right? Thank God. <laughs> God. You oh, never know. Jesus. I mean, it could be the summer. Never know. All right. Uh, that, 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 you know, that, 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 that ship has sailed. Oh, my God. <laughs> and we were all so excited at one point. Wow. Chai and Fat working with Wong Jing in a Hong Kong film, speaking Cantonese and, you know, doing the whole gambling thing. Wow. They really ruined that, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. it, it, it's like the whole fantasy we all have about, wow, Hong Kong movies are coming back. Nostalgia. Woo. It's like, my God. What, what did you do? Quite. Huh? Not quite. What? It's like you know, it's, it's like you. Know, I hate to say you. You always have that that stupid cliche about people saying this, this film raped my childhood. Yeah. You know. <laughs> All right. Well, there you have it, folks. I think for me, the the big bit of excitement is to see um, uh, the new Stephen Chow Tsui Hark pairing. Uh, looking forward to that, and we'll keep you abreast of uh, all the good stuff that's going to be coming our way in 2017. For now, let's uh, take a short musical break, and we'll be back with our first review for this episode, Derek Yee's Swordmaster. And welcome back. Our first film up, Derek Yee's Swordmaster. So try as I might... Despite the fact that they are having screenings here in the U.S., I live in a state, not one single cinema was showing it. None of the art house cinemas in Florida were showing it. Um, I could not get out to a screening to save my life. But uh, thankfully, we have both Ross and Kevin here to talk about the film because they were able to get out and see it. And if you are like me and you were not able to get out and see the film and probably won't be able to see it until it hits uh, home video... You can take some small satisfaction in the fact that you can get Death Duel, um, which is uh, the film that kind of was the breakout role for Derek Yee as an actor. This film is basically a remake of that. So 
Um, you can still find it. Um, it has availability through regular sources like uh, Amazon. The uh, Celestial IFV release um, is out there. I think there's also a new Blu-ray version that has been released I, fairly mm-hmm. recently, I guess, because you know this film was. No, it, it out. came out. It came out for the film, so yeah. that thing is brand new, and you yeah. can get it everywhere. So well, um, everywhere that sells. So yeah, availability for that is, is out there. So you can go out and watch that until you get a chance to to see this. Um, and as I look over the synopsis that Kevin has written, it basically sounds like a pretty direct remake of that film. So, Kevin, let me throw the ball over to you first uh, to give us the synopsis, and I'll let you and Ross go through your thoughts on it. Okay, so Swordmaster, um, just like Death Tool, uh, is an adaptation of uh, the novel by, by Gu Long. Um, the story is, is pretty simple. So it starts with Yang Shisan, who uh, played by Peter Ho. He's a master swordsman who has dedicated his life to challenging the best swordsman in all of Jianghu, or what we call the martial arts underworld. When he learns that third master, played by Kenny Lin, has died, he banishes himself to the wild and prepares to uh, kill himself because you know, there's no one left to challenge. Meanwhile, uh, tired of the violence in Jianghu, the real third master has actually... Uh, hidden himself away um, and is, is uh, actually hiding out as an errand boy in a brothel. However, he, his past keeps catching up to him and forcing him to take up the sword once more. Um, so I haven't seen Death Duel, actually, nor have I read the Gulong novel, so this is the first time that uh, I, I've come uh, across this project. But it's obviously a project that means a lot to Derek E. Like you said earlier, Paul, that it's um it was uh Derek E.'s first acting role. For, so for him it's it's you know it has that significance that he's now directing the the remake. Um and he recruited Trey Hart to help him uh, make this film into a 3D film because um these Wuxia tales are pretty typical so he needed some kind of I think new twist to it. So he he had Trey Hart who's done three or four I think three 3D films by now um, to help him uh, with the 3D. And it's clear that it wouldn't be possible um, without Trey Hark because um, Derek Gee, let's face it, cannot shoot action to save his life. Unfortunately, I only saw the 2D version. Um, there were only, I think, two cinemas showing the, the 3D version. And one of them is the infamous Dynasty. And there's no way I'm paying 3D prices at Dynasty. So sorry about that. But it was clear that that a lot of the effects were meant for 3D or a lot of the framing was meant for 3D. Um, and I think the result is Derek Yee's best film since Protégé. And I think it has some of the best action sequences in his career. Although, let's face it, Derek Yee, like I said, Derek Yee's not much of an action guy, so there's not a lot to sort of compare it to. Um, but I think it also sort of needed Derek Yee to to tell this story because he's a very humanistic director and there's um and it's a very pacifist story. It's a very anti Wuxia Wuxia film. I don't know if, I, if I'm getting this right. The story itself, you know, about being the best and you know the whole thing about ambition versus sort of retiring to a quiet life. These are conflicts that often happen in in a Wuxia film, um, and it's pretty typical. Um, but there's a real sort of um, anti-war, anti-violence approach to the story that I think uh, to the characters as well that Derek Gee, I think needed Derek Gee sort of storytelling or his, his sort of interests but um, I, I don't know what's happened to Derek Gee of actors because he, he seems to really have lost touch with directing actors there's some really atrocious you know, acting moments uh, in this film um, I, call, I call these the 
ho-ho may moments where like you have characters who discover who are shocked by something and they scream into the air and then you're talking, like, you're talking about the the big no scene right there's at least no there's at least like two or three no scenes in there right where they're like that the camera pulls back and the guy screams into the air like no <laughs> like i call it so, the hohoi moment is like it's from God of Cookery, where they make fun yeah. of the 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 Japanese uh, food food manga, where people are like screaming. That is really delicious. But so <laughs> the thing is, the thing is for this film though, I really think that was an aesthetic choice. Um, cause, right. Because the way that this film is made is really, it's really, it's really a Shaw Brothers remake in 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 more than just oh we remade the movie. You know, we took the plot and made a new one. No, they they they, they copy a lot of the aesthetic. It's shot in many ways the same way, and even the acting is kind of done in, in a very similar manner to old Shaw Brothers. See, like, maybe the only actor who is not like Shaw Brothers in the film is, like, uh, what's his name? Peter Ho. Because he has kind of a modern interpretation on his character. Well, he has that Joker Joker makeup thing going, right? Yes, exactly, yeah. You know, he, he has a modern affectations, too. But it's like everyone else is a little more, you know, they, they, they're a little more stagey, a little stiff. Um, the storytelling is, is very earnest. There's no, uh, there's very little stylization in the storytelling. You know, there's more right. stylization in the action. You know, they updated this out. The they update the action to be a little more modern. You know, but you know, it, it's still it's still done well for 3D because it's not hard to follow at all. It's actually very easy to follow. So you know, you don't have to worry about shaky cam and all that crap. But but the the way that he tells a story is very very uh, old school in a way. Um, if you if you've seen the old one, you know, you, you can kind of see that. Although frankly, you know, the old one is is like really sloppy in many ways and and, and is is full of yes, your your whole whole many moments all over the place and uh it's it's you know and it's it's really and Eric, and Derek e, no offense was was really a bad actor at least in that film so I mean, like, the guy the guys from uh you did you spot the guy from i am somebody and was one of the extras well, what, yeah, yeah well, you know come on but, but that's him i mean like what are you going on you want him to be a good actor suddenly no way um you know he was bad in that movie bad in this movie so actually he was perfect he, he totally fit in the shop of this these are all contract guys who like showed up, had the free lunchbox, and uh, went back to the dorm to make another film on, on day two. So it's like, it's like you know, it really was an aesthetic choice to make this film in, in, like a shot of this film. Like, you saw how the sets are and the costumes, you know, all those colors, and, you know, clearly this is like a fake set, and you, and you got the background. It was a green screen here back then. It wasn't a green screen, but, you know, they, they, they you know you're watching this, this, this gloriously fake movie. So, you know, I... And I, I think even the acting, you know, like like uh, Kenny Lin, he he's really he's really kind of stiff in this movie in many ways, and he actually he's not very interesting. You know, really the most interesting character in the film is Peter Hose. Right. So, so in, in many ways, I think it's you know, and the people who get to act that a little, even like uh, what's her name, the girl, um, uh, Lee. That's Zhang Yian, the other one. No, no, but actually Zhang Yian, actually you saw the old one. Zhang Yian does a lot more. You know, they. they they, they, they're the ones who are a little more interesting because they have, they're a little more theatrical or they get to have a little more personality. And, you know, Kenny Lynn is just like, you know, like a rock in this movie. <laughs> so, you know, but, but in Shpooth, I, I really enjoyed it. I found it refreshing. In, um, in terms of the narrative beats, Ross, is it pretty much exactly the same as Death Duel no, with, no, like, no, the poisoning no. and, and getting no, cured? And poisoning. No, Um, There is... The poisoning, wow. Sorry. Um, he does have a, uh, a meetup with, uh, with, uh, the Peter Ho character, 
um, Yen Shishan and uh, Third Master. Okay, they they do meet up at a certain point, and there is like the irony of you know them helping each other or being friends. Right. Actually, no, there is no poisoning in the uh, the new version. What happens is, you know, he's more involved in the old version. The Yen Shishan character is like, oh, I gotta go find him, but then oh no, he's dead. Oh, that sucks, and then he disappears for like eighty percent of the movie. He only shows up again when uh, when Derek Yi as a Third Master is uh is poisoned yes and then he has to go get healed by him and then the irony is like yes actually he's wanted to he he living a, a like a, a sad life alone by the lake because and Shishan that is because he wanted to kill the third master but he thinks the third master is dead already so that's their connection and then of course in the end they still meet up again for a final duel just like in this version however in this new version um third master supposedly goes to learn kung fu from from uh, Yen Shishan at the behest of the village because they want protection from like some 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 bastards who you know who are terrorizing them, and uh, and that that's that's different. Actually, mm. their their relationship in this new version is much deeper and much more enjoyable. They have a lot of scenes together, whereas in the old version they just have two scenes. There's a real know? bromance element here, so that kind yes. of gets a bit modern, yeah. Yeah, but it's uh it's well played, and you know, and they really deal with the issues of you know of 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 Jianghu, of you know what am i doing in this world you know am i passing on my knowledge am i bitter over not being able to fulfill this or am i going to change my my path and and do something positive or negative or whatever you know with my kung fu knowledge and all that crap um so no it is not a beat for, for beat remake at all also but uh yen shisan not yen shisan sorry the third master in this new version he was a childhood uh sweetheart with uh, the Zhang Jian character uh, in the old version, you know that there, there's no romance between the two. She just sucks, and you know she appears and she sucks, and she, you know, that's it. You know, uh, <laughs> she's not a tragic figure like in this new version. This new version, she's very much a tragic figure, and she earns some sympathy, you know, or some, you know, you she earns some care despite the fact that she's kind of a bad person. Right. And uh, well, you know, I I, I tell other people that she's more like a, a Hong Kong girl in this 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 version. <laughs> wow. No. Okay. Yeah, There's that, that just one scene where she's like, why can't you just do what I want? You know, that's a bit like, whoa. <laughs> yeah, okay. Yeah, it's not going to win you any, uh, any any fans out there. In, uh, we don't have any in, anyway. Progressive listener land. Now. We, we don't have that many, it's all right. Okay. Plus, I said as cuss, so we're going to do explicit this time anyway. Um, yeah, so it's not a beat by beat, not by beat by beat. This one is a lot more in depth. Uh, relationships are more fleshed out. Um, there's uh, there's some changes too with certain people who live and die uh, between the two versions, and uh, of course, you know the action is is much different. But you know that's not story beat. Um, yeah, th- this one is 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 much more detailed. The other one is more like a well. Uh, suddenly, I'm running to all these people who want to kill me. And it's like, and he goes from one place to the next, and someone else wants to kill him, and someone else wants to kill him. It's like, wow, John, who sucks? Everyone just wants to kill me. And it keeps going until it gets poisoned. And then, you know, and then the, this this other one, you know, it really gets into his relationships a lot more. And uh, the side characters are a lot more interesting, I'd say. And yes, uh, the Peter Ho character gets a lot more screen time. Is there any yeah, uh, I... is there any surprise cameo by Dick Long? No. No, uh, not why. No, no, David Chang, and uh, yeah, no. The, the the there is some connection. Some people appear in both. Um, uh, Choi Su Kang, uh, you know Norman Chu. Some people might call him. 
Um, he appears in both. He plays uh, Kenny Lynn's father here, and the older one, other one, he was the uh, the uh, right hand person of. Uh, I I can't even remember her name. Her name was. This is the Zhang Yiyan character. Her name was Mu Yong Chuti. <laughs> okay, yeah, who was played by uh, I think uh, someone else in the old one. <laughs> Sorry, my my knowledge of the old one is is yeah. just like escaping me. That's all right. You know, it, for those for those who have not seen the original, um, as you watch it, of course, you'll see a lot of recognizable faces pop up in various roles, and there is a, a cameo by. Uh, Dick Long as a character who's actually from another film that came out a uh, year before, I want to say, I think in 1976 or 75, from The Magic Blade. So his character from that has a cameo in uh, Death Duel, along with a, some other actors uh, that Ross mentioned that, sh- that you'll recognize. It's, it's actually pretty interesting how they used to, to do those uh, kind of carryovers back then. It's too bad they don't do that kind of stuff as much these days. That's because back then they were living in the dorm, like I said, yeah. you know, the Shaw Brothers dorm. It's like, hey, go knock on his door. We need him for a scene. You know, that's not going to happen. Here you got to go. Lewis isn't at his house. He's at his museum. He's his toy museum. Yeah, they go there. Uh, are we seeing his boyfriend? Whoops, sorry. Um, yeah, we, we don't know. Sure. One question, because you did mention that one of the big differences here is that, you know, in the Shaw Brothers version, of course, it's a lot of in-studio sets. You can always, You can always tell by that sort of look, that aesthetic. Whereas here they're using green screen. Is there a heavy reliance on CGI? Is it good? Is it not so good? I mean, where does it fall in the, the scope of something like, say, Monkey King 2 versus um, uh, League of Gods? Wow, League of Gods is not... Just, don't even compare them. <laughs> League of Gods is like... That's, that's, that's way different. League of Gods is like, hey, you, let, let's act in, in your pajamas and we'll just CG the rest in. Um, no, this, I think they actually wore their own costumes. And they didn't CG their costumes on. Um, a lot of backgrounds, of course, are CG'd, and uh, some of the sets themselves are obviously CG'd. Um, but is this is this to the extent to where you think it's good enough that when this hits video, it'd be good to get the HD version or a Blu-ray version? You should anyway. I mean, you know, it's 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 a really nice production. But it, again, it looks really, you know, the sets look like sets. You know, you get that feeling. You get that same feeling. You never feel for a minute that this is... They didn't go for the photorealistic jungle like or, like, forest, like in the Jungle Book, the new one, where the whole thing was shot on, like, like a green, on a green background, and then they just... They put the jungle in there. No, this is not like that, and try to make it look as real as possible. This movie is not like that. So it's like... It, it looks like a Shaw Brothers set. And this is think, my opinion. Anyway. You think that's by design, though, right? Not because of... Yes, I think so. I think they cuts, really right? aim... Because if you look at their costumes also, though, the way the colors pop on their cost- costumes... Like, if you remember the old Shop Brothers costumes, the old Shop Brothers costumes were really, were really colorful. You know, they used a lot of different colors. They weren't like, you know, what we got used to later with, uh, you know, more modern Wuxia. I mean, I'm like, in the 90s, yes, they still had the color. But when you get to, like, you know, Crouching Tiger, and especially when you get, like, way later, everything is really, like, like you know, muted palette or, like, you know dusty or realistic costumes, a perfect way to, ex- to examine these types of remakes would be to compare this to the Blood Brothers remake, mm-hmm. which was uh, Warlords. Now, if you recall what Warlords look like, it's like everyone's in like, you know, gigantic fur coats and everything's brown, brown and, 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 and tan. And it's like, you know, everything's gross and ugly and it's real and it's gritty. But, but you know, it's, it's, it, there's, no, there's no pageantry to it. There's no theatricality to it. 
um, I'm not saying that, you know, that this film really is like looking at like, you know, like, like, like the banquet or like, uh, or like, you know, one of those really ornate costume dramas, but it, it really has more of that sense of, you know, of, of artifice, of right. not being real. Right. They are trying yeah, to Hmm? I, I think that old aesthetic was sort of my problem. I mean, I didn't think that they were doing it on purpose, but um, there's a lot of sort of antiquated style, like you said, the acting or, or even the. No, uh, I, I actually really do think the they did, did it on purpose. I actually think right. they did it on purpose, especially with the fact that there's no stylization in the in the storytelling. Yeah, right. no, 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 no tricks. Not even, not even really with like the soundtrack to try right. to, uh, you know to set the mood or like you know no no uh a, a lot of it is very stagey you know and, and not a lot of uh of like you know um of editing to set mood or editing right. to create excitement you know you, that that doesn't really happen in this film there, there are know, a lot of nice old school old school filmmaking techniques here that makes it for a really engaging experience but i think some of it some of the old-fashioned stuff people would 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 I don't misread it, but it just wouldn't match an, a, a modern audience. I mean, there's, there's a reason why these techniques became outdated. It's because we found new things, new ways to, to do things, and people just sort of laugh at these things now. I think that's, see, that's part of the reason though, why this, I couldn't connect. But see, one of the things is these uh, this this type of uh, filmmaking, these types of stories lend themselves to that that old style. That's that's one of the problems in a way because these types of stories. This whole thing about internalizing your your, your you know Jianghu and then internalizing the meaning and even your techniques and you know your techniques have names. I'm like yeah, that's that's never gonna work in like you know in like an Avengers movie because like you know no one's gonna sit there and name their punches. Okay, <laughs> so it, it it doesn't work. It's already unreal. You know because that's really what martial arts fiction was like. It was like this this whole sort of thing, this whole sort of aesthetic that they you know once you put it into a film. And you try to, and as things got more modernized, you have to get rid of all those elements. Um, so, I think they were trying to put those things back in there. So it does have a very retro feel, and I think that's specifically on purpose. Because um, Derek E. could have done this, like if you just look at Protege, like Protege has a lot of like you know, um, like uh, like uh, like you know, it has dream sequences, and you know, it's, and uh, cinematography is, is is adjusted to to match mood and things like that. This movie doesn't do that at all. It's like you know, everything is very like, uh, it is very you know, it 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 keeps an even tone the whole time. Yeah, that's one way it's like a Shaw Brothers film. It doesn't like so you know, even, it's not not expressionistic. Well, even if he did it on purpose, the question is whether it works. I mean. It, it, even if we know why he did it, the question is: Is it effective, or and or is it? Does it make for a better movie? Better or not better? I think it's just a different style at this point. It's just like it's just like making the assassin, uh, Ho Hao Shengs. You know, it, that's just different. You know, a different way of doing it. Um, in fact, you know, that film and this film, there are some comparisons I would make with them, and that neither is really trying to refer to old films to try to subvert them, old styles, you know what I mean? They're just taking a, a story and telling it differently, but not like saying, look, we're doing it in a way that's really different from how you would expect it, or, you know, or how it used to be, you see what I mean? So mm -hmm. it's just it's just a different style. This, this is just my opinion, of course. So, you know, I, I enjoyed it because I felt it was refreshing. And the story itself is actually a very effective old story. And you know it works. It feels like an old time story, and it doesn't have to you know rely on a lot of. It, it doesn't like try to fool you. It has a lot of points where it could go aha, twist, you know, 
but they, they never try to like pretend or like you know they never try to act like they're smarter than you and they're trying to pull the wool over your eyes so that's that's kind of i also found that a little refreshing because you know movies nowadays they're, they're always trying to be trying to be so clever and sometimes you know nowadays we, we we see it coming because audiences are a lot smarter now so this right. film doesn't even attempt that it just says so here's everything it's all laid out there it's like you know who is uh the, uh the third master when we first meet him he's just some dope you know who he is right, right. so but the film doesn't try to like make it a big deal that he's revealed and oh, this is his real identity it's like yeah we know who he is and that's <laughs> fine because you know it just it just plays out in front of you and you don't have to feel distracted by them trying to like you know dictate how you should feel so in some ways, I, I enjoyed that. I just felt it was a very earnest way to tell the film, um, as opposed sure. to like how they would do it nowadays. Sure, no, it's a very old school film, and I think it works for and against it at different moments. So um, I enjoyed it. I, I did enjoy, even though you know I thought the acting kind of kept kept hurting it, and also the script. I mean, there's a sort of the way that the the, the dialogue and the certain plot things are reviewed are very sort of too outdated i think it's just sort of really melodramatic and and for me like i said the, the old-fashionedness of it sort of works against it and for it so um but no, i i i still think it's a very very enjoyable film. and and i stand by the fact that it's Derek e's best film in 10 years i think i can't even remember what he's done triple tap be... oh my god no <laughs> great magician yeah, great magician was all right but yeah it's this is better than that <laughs> Yeah, exactly. And then I am somebody. And then what else? Um, in the middle there. Um, no, I, I I looked at I looked at a filmography. I'm like, wait, this goes back. Wait, go back, go back, go back. Oh, Protege. Okay, you know, yeah, there you go. And some people really hate Protege. So you know, that's it, that's you know, it's that's not gonna help them to say it's his best film since Protege, because some people <laughs> are like, you know, that's not gonna help them at all. I, I'm I'm right now trying to figure out, you know, did he do anything good between now and then? Shinjuku incident? No. No. Stranger uh, and drunk? No. Two, then you have to go all the way back to One Night in Mongkok or something, maybe, maybe, or maybe Too Young. I don't know. It's been a while. Let's, let's agree, it's been a while since Derek E's made a good film. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, let's uh, let's leave it there at that. We'll take a short break, and we'll be back with our next review for Star Wars Rogue One. Final review for this episode is, of course, Star Wars Rogue One, which is seeming to become a sort of Christmas tradition now that we're going to have a Star Wars movie every year, um, presumably around the Christmas season. Um, this film is directed by Gareth Edwards, who, a fairly new director, he kind of made his name with the indie film Monsters, which I remember 
uh, really liking. He also did the Hollywood version of the latest Godzilla film, which is set up to, I guess, uh, be part of a big brawl series um, once next year in 2017. We get uh, Skull Island, which reintroduces King Kong, and they're supposed to have a smackdown a few years down the road between the two. Um, it was interesting choice as a fairly new director to give him the helm of this, and I know it made a lot of Star Wars fans a little bit nervous, particularly fans who weren't that uh, into the kind of work he did. I thought it would be interesting because I've liked um, some of the stuff that he's done, though. The cast includes Felicity Jones, um, Alan Taduk, um, among others. But for our purposes, of course, it's all about Donnie Yen and Zhang Wen. And we'll get into that uh, in just a little bit. The story itself, if you don't know, if you're not a Star Wars fan, this is the prequel to what is now known as Episode Four, um, the sort of original Star Wars film, if you will. And it features a character named Jin Erso, who is the refugee daughter of an Imperial engineer. She gets caught up in a rebel plot to steal the plans of the Empire's latest weapon, known as the Death Star. Um, so going into this, I was a bit nervous because I thought, this is, you know, do we need this, right? Because we, we know the outcome. It's a prequel. These films already have a big problem with the original three prequels. Um, do we need another prequel? We've got lots of storytelling going on out there that's already set in this time period with both sort of uh, the Clone Wars animated series and now the currently running Star Wars Rebels series, which is filling in a lot of the gaps. Did we really need this particular story? So I had a lot of trepidation going in, but coming out, I would say, for me, this was much, much better than last year's Episode Seven. Um it gives the Star Wars universe a grimier, grittier look to the galaxy, and which is interesting because in comparison to another series like Star Trek, which is always seen as too glossy and shiny, um, you know, Star Wars is always seen as sort of the darker, grimmer side in terms of the aesthetic, in terms of the look. Um, but here they even go a bit darker and a bit grittier, and it gives you kind of what I would call a grunt's eye view of the universe as opposed to the more idyllic and gleamy gloss of the Jedi stories that we've gotten um, in the other films to date. Uh, and it's reminiscent of some of the other Star Wars mediums out there. I would refer to certain episodes of the Clone Wars that were focused, for example, on the troopers. I know there's some novels out there which go into different areas. I think there's one called Death Troopers, which is kind of like a horror genre in the Star Wars universe. That's, that's the zombie one, right? I, I, yeah, I think I believe so. Yeah, um, yeah. Stormtrooper zombies. Sweet. So, you know, there, there there's some interesting stuff going in here that I think for me, despite the fact that, you know, we kind of know the end result. Um, it's more about the journey and the way that I think director Edwards put it together really worked well for me. Lots of fan service, um, things that connect to things people will recognize from the other films, especially Episode Four. Um, also some very nice connections to both of the animated series. Um, I do have friends though, who've stated that they liked episode seven better than this, but I think that for me, this is a star Wars that was made for, for me. Uh, it, it's, it gets away from a lot of the problems of the prequels, a lot of the criticism, criticisms that the prequels had in sort of the more flash Gordon esque and the, the, the kid oriented star Wars that it tried to be here. Um, I think it just feels more adult. Um, 
But if any, there is anything that I came out of loving this film more than anything else, it is, of course, Donnie Yen and Zhang. Freaking awesome Wen, who I was so afraid that Donnie was going to get relegated to a very sort of minor stereotypical role, um, and Zhang Wen was going to be an afterthought. But really, they feature as fully formed characters, and I want, you know, it, it, I, I know a characterization is good when I care enough about those characters that I want to know a lot more about them. I want to go read a backstory novel. I want to see them introduced in other properties. I just want to know more about them. Um, and they both really worked well. And, and sure, perhaps because of the nature of the kind of show we do here, uh, we're a bit biased, but I'm so happy to see them on screen in a big intellectual property, getting good screen time with good characters and getting that kind of attention. Uh, it really made me happy. There's been some discussion too about possibilities for a Rogue 2. That is sort of a, because you have this happening before Star Wars. And of course, then there's another big heist to steal plans before Return of the Jedi. Uh, I don't know if that will happen. If it does, it's gonna be a different story from this, of course. Um, so, you know, that's, that, that's left to be seen, but, uh, I was very excited to see this. I'm very excited to watch it again. I can't say the same about episode seven. I saw it, you know, once in the theaters and I haven't really felt a desire to watch it since. I'll probably go back and watch it once again before episode eight comes out. I just, it was, for me, there was so much redundancy and retread in that film that it just doesn't feel that fresh to me. Whereas this... I would say, yeah, there is retread. You're going to see things that you've seen in other films. You're going to see people that you've seen in other films. But I think the way that it's handled, um, the fan service isn't too much in your face. It's just enough, at least for my taste. And there's enough freshness here in terms of the look, in terms of the characters, in terms of some of the themes they're going for, that um, I think it's really put together very, very well. There's no mid or end credit scenes. Um, as such, you know, I mean, if you we live in the age of Marvel movies where you're expecting to see at least two scenes now with a lot of films, there's, there's none of that here, um, which is obvious because you know what comes next, right? If you've seen episode four, if you want that, you go watch episode four. But I would urge you to stay to watch the credits because for Hong Kong cinema fans, you will spot a credit by Big Mike Leader, um, a name that some of you should recognize. He was apparently the Hong Kong liaison for the casting of certain characters. So, you know, stick through it and, and you'll see his name fly up there. Um, so yeah, it's it, it does have a bit of redundancy in terms of things we've seen in other movies, but um, it still doesn't feel as redundant as episode seven. As a darker tale, I think it might be poised to leave some people unhappy, but I think that those kind of stories need to be told, right? Uh, some of the CGI characters that they have, there's a bit of an uncanny valley thing that's happening. Um, friend of the show, Ryan yeah, Ozawa, yeah. Uh, from the Pop Spotting podcast, pointed out on a Facebook post. He said, we're getting better, but we're not quite there yet. You, you can't give them that much screen time uh, because it, it's just a little bit off-putting. Um, I know that I think Lucas was once you know, quoted as a saying, in the future, we're not going to have actors. Um, you're going to have people who've licensed their voice and basically uh, actors are going to be, you know, computer generated like Eve from Megazone 23 or something. Um, well, that's a reference. My God. <laughs> I'm dating myself there. Um, but yeah, <laughs> this is, you know, this is a film to see if you love Star Wars. 
But for those of you who are out here who, who, who listen to this show and you're somebody who doesn't love Star Wars, you would not want to watch a Star Wars movie, I urge you to go watch this movie anyway just to support Donnie and John Wen in, in this kind of role. I think they deserve that support. I think they're awesome. They're excellent. So please, if you weren't thinking about watching this, go watch it just for the support of, you know, uh, our Hong Kong and, and, and China actors and directors and going out there and making some waves in a big Hollywood intellectual property like this. Um, let me throw the ball over to Ross for a bit to give his thoughts on this, and then we'll go over to Kevin. Um, you know, I don't really have that much to add. Um, you know, I, I enjoyed it. You know, it was good. It has story issues. It moves a bit too quickly. It's like, my God, it's like, you know, it's, it happens in like 12 hours or something. What the hell? Um, and a lot of conveniences. But yeah, you know, this is essentially the Star Wars film that that Star Wars fans wanted all these years. No cutesy, no, no cutesy stuff, no, uh, no teddy bears, no, uh, no, uh, no, no crazy racial stereotypes um, that look like, you know, amphibians or whatever the hell they are. Um, you know, and uh, less dumb humor. Um, uh, maybe some real stakes that we don't really see in the other films because, you know, either you're already expecting certain things to happen, like, you know, had someone turning to the dark side or, uh, or they refuse to kill off the characters because of the sequels. Um, yeah, this one uh, has a lot, you know, more of that. So it's, it's yeah, it, it is a Star Wars film. I think people will be really happy to see people who really were Star Wars fans. Um, you know, there, there are some things I know that are off-putting to some people. I read some comments about, you know, they don't understand how there could be, like, Force-sensitive people and not, like, you know, who aren't, like, Jedi Knights, like Johnny Yen's character. But, uh, but um, if you've read, read the books or seen other uh, Star Wars media, Force-sensitive characters are nothing new. Um, but, yeah, I, I, you know, I enjoyed it a lot. Actually, I saw it twice. Haha. Um, <laughs> because uh, my brother was in town, so I had to go to it a second time. But um, actually, the Uncanny Valley issue, as well as the issue of very little recognizable Star Wars music, kind of disappears the second time you see it. Meaning that it's not as off-putting. I mean, either of those things. Like, one of the things that I, I didn't notice the first time was, you know, uh, parts where you expect a, a, you know, familiar Star Wars music to appear, it just doesn't. You know what I mean, right? Yeah, that, that, was, I, that was something I noticed I want to say at the start of the film, but as I got further into it, I noticed it a bit less. I was a bit mm -hmm. surprised that we didn't get a crawl, though. Um, I think this has got. They, be... they were talking about that ahead of time. They, they said there was no crawl because uh, because they, they they want to reserve the crawl for the the main stories because hmm. the main stories have to be placed in the context each time. They, they're saying you know where it's like you know you have to really know what's going on because they're they're following a specific timeline, whereas these side stories are just like. One-offs, right? Although apparently the new Han Solo one is not going to be a one-off because <laughs> they're all signed up for like three films. But um, but yeah, the uh, I, I really thought uh, it, you know it was it was like the Star Wars film that adults wanted. So you know, less marketable characters, you know, everything's really badass, or you know, everyone's really dark or they're conflicted about you know really more mature ideas. I'm not saying they're handled exceptionally maturely but you know the idea of you know your, your duties in wartime and what you're doing um you know are you just following orders or are you trying to aim for a greater purpose things like that um and most of the humor comes from uh the robot character k2so4 and uh and a little bit from donnie actually 
but mainly because Donnie's so optimistic, and the the other character is really uh, the the robot character is really like you know he's like depressed. He's like Marvin. He's like he's, Marvin yeah, from. He's, uh, from uh, he's like Marvin from Guide uh, the, uh, to the Galaxy. Yeah, yeah, Hitchhiker's Guide. Yeah, he's 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 like that. He he's like the passive aggressive robot. Uh, but he's great. <laughs> you, you like him a lot, and uh, the movie's just you know it's it's really it's really fun for uh, a Star Wars fan. It's really great for a Star Wars fan, you know, because it delves into all those things you're familiar with. So many uh, Easter eggs, some that you may not even notice, um, that are awesome. But you know, I, I, we can't talk about them because they're spoilers. Um, yeah, I really like how they used. Vader. Hmm? Go ahead. I was gonna say I really liked how they used Vader. Um, not too much. Vader felt a, in, in, there's a there's a scene where they first introduce him, where he's talking to basically the guy who's the big bad of the film. Um, right. That felt a little bit off to me for some reason. I don't know why it was, it was something about his costume or, or something about his, because it wasn't David Prowse, I think, in the suit. Maybe it, something about that scene just felt a little bit off but then he shows up at the end and it's it's full-on awesome so um, well the, the, the prowse thing may be a real issue because if you think about it you've never ever seen vader in long periods of time just the way he moves uh is all based on david prowse whereas you know if you think about uh like the ending of the film it's more or less an action scene yeah so it's stunt double and you know it was always a stunt double anyway so you know and, and they're all going to move the same because that suit is very restricting but I liked how they used him. They they didn't use him too much, because you can't get him too involved in the story. Because then you have to like deal with you know his place in it. What is he? Is he is he gonna have a character arc? Is he gonna have uh, you know some sort of growth? And you know that can't happen for Vader, not in this. So the way they used him, they really used him as a uh, as as a threat, as a uh, you know as a figure of menace, um, something that people are afraid of. And you know it's great. You know the the, the Vader thing. Although yeah, you know slightly overpowered in my opinion. But hey, that's Vader. Whatever Vader. it made for some awesomeness. Yeah, yeah. It, it's it's like he 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 got the powers from the video game. You know, <laughs> from the force the force unleashed. It's like suddenly it's like oh man, he put in a cheat code, and he was like, <laughs> you know, just like doing all this crap he couldn't do like in the other films because you know budget. But hey, um, I yeah, it was, it was good. It's you know it's 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 what you want. It's not best picture material, but uh, you know it's hard to expect that. And, and I'm with you on the uh, on the overboard love for uh, for Force Awakens. Force Awakens is is, in my opinion, incredibly overrated. Uh, I enjoy it, but it's like, yeah, you know, there's, there's some things about it rub me the wrong way, and you know, I just felt they were like trying too hard. And yeah, it's, it's like you know, come on, it, it, are these like are these are these like star killing planets like uh, like cup of noodles or something? <laughs> like, you, know, you just pour hot water and just throw. It's like apparently because of Rogue One, you learn it took them like twenty years to build the Death Star. Apparently, you know they're, they're, they're like they're like already. They, apparently, they got a backup every single time, so that you know they can just like get one going every like two three years. They need a new big bad. All right, let me throw it over to Kevin. Kevin, what were your thoughts on Rogue One? Um, I'm kind of in the minority of this show that I prefer Episode Seven to this one. Um, not not that I disliked. This one, I, I think it's it's still very well made, but this one totally doesn't work as a standalone film. Not that Episode Seven works as a standalone film, but at least that one felt. I don't think darker is better in this case. Um, just because it's darker doesn't really make always make for a better film. Um, it's a bit sloppy at points, and I'm I think that uh, like the story is 
really simple and also really complicated for some reason. There was just a lot of too many things going on for what was like very essentially one line in the opening scroll of episode four, right? Um, I, I see it essentially as you know that opening ten minutes in the J.J. Abrams version of Star Trek, the uh, the thing with Kirk's father. You blow that up to two hours. That is Rogue <laughs> One. It's a two-hour pre-opening sequence to Episode Four. <laughs> At least you got to spend a lot of time with the big-eyed alien. I mean, come on, in J.J. Abrams' version, the big-eyed alien is like ten seconds. Here we got like thirty minutes of that big-eyed alien. So, <laughs> I'm cool with that. Right. Because that big-eyed alien is Donnie. Donnie <laughs> is the big-eyed alien. <laughs> I, I you know I like I like Donnie and it's sad that no one even no one in the West is talking about Jangwen who I think is also quite good with his limited English. Um, he's really he great. Was, in it. He was my and, favorite part. I mean I love Donnie, but I'm all, you know I'm all about John Wang's character. Uh, Bags, but yeah, no one's talking you know. about Jangwen. They really are not talking about Jangwen. They're only talking about Donnie. I hate to say it. One of the reasons why is because Donnie is what does still he does still hew to certain Asian stereotypes. Right, he talks Asian about he, right the Asian mystique, the martial arts part. Essentially, he's a force fanboy. Yeah, you know he's he's just a force fanboy. He doesn't even have to force. Well, so no, what the I hell mean, are we talking he, about? He he he. They, he is sensitive. Their their backstory is that they're they're both ex temple guards, right? Right. And and so they do they do have this this connection, but they weren't you know it's not everybody can be a Jedi. Um, they're they're basically like you know the the emperor's red robed guys, um, you know they 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 serve the temple and and they have this this maybe ideology. The thing I really liked about uh, about Zhang Wen's character, not aside from his his kick butt gear that he lugged around, was that part of his design. I don't know if it was intentional, but it it really looks like the designers went back to. Um, uh, Knights of the Old Republic, uh, the online uh, MMO, and borrowed mm. some of the some of the design suit elements and things and his weaponry from that because that looked you know because I played that I didn't play that for long I played it for about six months or so, but I think their trooper bounty hunter character um, carries a weapon similar to his you know with the pack and everything it was it was really cool and and I liked his character as sort of the counterpoint to. Donnie's character, you know, the way that the two of them sort of went back and forth um, in their scenes. I wanted so much more of that. And, you know, maybe a, maybe a director's cut will, will give us some deleted scenes or something. Um, he got some great scenes. Although, you know, the, one of the things that, you know, it, that it doesn't really work is, you know, why are these guys just suddenly thrown together? You know, it's just, you know, him and him and, uh, and, and Donnie just kind of get hitched along for the ride just like randomly. You know, because it didn't have to be that way, but it works. Yeah, this got way too geeky for me. <laughs> Sorry, oh. Sorry. <laughs> this got way too geeky for me. Um, no, uh, uh, um, I, I don't think it works well as a standalone film. I don't know, maybe it's just me. I think that you do need a lot of Star Wars knowledge, or you have to have a certain knowledge of the story to pick up on the stake that the story has. Just, on just the, the first one, just Star Wars. You don't need oh, to sure, have seen, sure. Uh, you don't have to see. I, I need to have seen the other ones necessarily, because there's no Skywalker I, reference. There's no like any of that. Everything is related a, to Star Wars. Yeah, there is at least one Obi Wan reference. Yes, true. but even that is just. Uh, and also, that, you don't even have to see. You don't have to see Episode Three. You only have to see Episode Four. Well, Episode Three, because you have to know where there's a certain character that shows up, and you have to like, oh, that guy's from Episode Three. 
Oh, uh, yeah, I agree. Okay, you're, you're correct. I, you know, one one actor, yes, does it does not appear in episode four, five, and six, but appears here. So I think if if Star Wars is the main sort of series, the main TV series, I think Rogue One is the Christmas special. Uh, that you know, it's nice to watch it, but I don't think it really adds much to the to the whole saga. I you know I don't know how much because I'm watched Clone Wars. So I don't know how much Clone War adds to the whole Star Wars as a series, but. This one, I think, like it's not a, it's not essential, but I think it's quite a nice addition. But I don't think it's essential to Star Wars. It's it's not essential at all. I I, I agree. But you know, it, it's nice to see because you know Star Wars is one of its uh, key things that makes it so interesting and you know memorable for people. Is yes, it creates a whole new universe for people to explore. So the idea that you know you know all these other things must be happening. And, you know, seldom do we, you know, because even when four, episode four came out, it's like episode four, which they announced later, but whatever. Episode four, it's like, episode one, two, and three, what happened? Well, apparently a <laughs> lot of crap. But, um, but you know, they, they, they create this whole world and this whole history. And, you know, that's why Clone Wars helps because, you know, you get to see part of that history. In fact, with that in mind, even Rebels is, is, is even though it's better than Clone Wars, is, is much more superfluous than Clone Wars because it's, Clone Wars is really fulfilling a... Uh, a, a, a bookmark that they like laid out for you, for you and said, "Hey, this is this happens. You know what happened really? Now you can find out." But like um, this too, it showed you that you know a lot more happened in getting those plans. It wasn't just some guy escaping from a building going, "Oh God, I got those plans!" Whew! And then you know gave it to the droid. No, it's not that simple. You know, apparently involved a lot of really strange coincidences and, and weird controls in strange places at an imperial installation. Like, yes, the pain power switch is outside the building. Okay, well, whatever. But, um, yes, it involved all this stuff and, you know, all these other characters. And someone had to make a sacrifice. And and uh, also involved, like, you know, a, a guy who, who managed the Empire. I mean, the, the Death Star and was apparently just, like, having a bad day at the office. <laughs> which is why, you know, everything went to hell for him. It's like, I was trying to take my, you know, my stapler and, uh, <laughs> and, and hey, don't I get my corner office and what? I don't get my corner office anymore. I'm still head of the project, right? Yeah, you know, it's it, it's it's you can identify with this stuff if you work in an office. But anyway, um, because you work with that guy, that guy is in my office, Krennic. He is in my office. <laughs> um, but but seriously, yes, it, it does flesh it out. It does give it this person. It does it does make the world bigger. And I think it's the, the way they did it here is great. And you know they, they and you know it allows you to be uh, to have some nostalgia going and allows you to see new things. Now you know there are four senses. Now you know there is this whole culture around the Jedi that you didn't know before. And you know and this one big advantage of this finally is you know you get to see a world affected by the Empire. You know in previous films you really don't see the world affected by the Empire, do you? Not that much. Right. Because Tatooine, where Luke is from, is, is like so far out that apparently the Empire barely ever gets out there. And Luke was like, Force? What's that? It's like, God. You know, apparently everyone else in the universe knows about it, except for you. You know, but but yeah, there's uh, there's that sense that, you know, the world is really, the universe is, well, the galaxy is really suffering because of the Empire. You get that feeling here. And that's, that's something cool. Because you weren't seeing that before. Right. So, um, you know, that, that is one thing I really liked about this film. You know, you get that you get to see the people who are out of jobs, or we were guarding the temple, and then they screwed up the temple. Now we get to hang around and you know act Asian. <laughs> you know that, that stuff. That stuff. That stuff you weren't seeing in other films. You know, so it, that's cool. I, I I think it's cool to see this like you know this type of uh, this this type of fleshing out of the world. 
Um, it makes you want to see more of it. But yes, at some point, you know, you realize, you know, can how far can they can they keep it going? You know, when will they run out of ideas? Who knows? So, so does it make you guys want to see the 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 Han Solo movie more now? I, I'm less interested in the Han Solo movie simply because um, it's Han Solo. You know, uh, here the thing I liked about this is again it gave us a different perspective. It, it like Ross says, it it shows a different side of of what's going on rather than the characters that we already know. The thing that disappointed me was. It, the, the film does serve as kind of some connective tissue. One of the one of the bigger characters in this film is actually taken from the Clone Wars animated series. I won't say more than that because I don't want to spoil it for anybody. But if you follow the Clone Wars animated series closely, you'll probably you know if you don't already know who it is, you'll you'll be able to figure it out once you hear the name. That's right. Ahsoka Tano is all over this film. <laughs> um, there's also a bit of connectivity to the Rebel series, although not anywhere near as much as I would have liked. But, of course, we do... Although that character is appearing in Rebels, too, now. Yeah. We we do get the ubiquitous a droid cameos that you would expect. And I that I was almost kind of like, oh, really? Do we need to... You know, couldn't, couldn't you have shown some of the other droids that are in other shows rather than those two? But I get it. You know, I get that for the general audience who's seen the films and nothing else... You know, that's something that, that that is a recognizable thing for them that they'll say, yeah, OK, I know those guys. Right. Um, so I think, you know, well, it, made it, sense. it made sense they were there, though, because, you know, yeah. the, the person who actually took ownership of them, of them in episode three appears, too. So there you go. Yeah. Although they said they were owned by Captain Antilles. And, you know, we never really met him. But, oh, well. Yeah, I actually know that crap. <laughs> <laughs> we could perhaps continue geeking out and, and, and opining um over over this film um i i guess you know uh, let me just throw a final question over to kevin who you know you're because you're not quite as into it perhaps as, as ross and i are the idea that we're going to be getting a film a year you know we've talked a little bit before about the idea of sort of marvel overdose or superhero overdose because we're getting so many marvel films to a year um and three next year you know they're 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 starting to cover familiar territory um over and over again you know have you had your fill of star wars by now no i i i love star wars and by the end of episode seven i still and by the end of rogue one i still feel the same as i did when i watched the end of episode seven is when the hell is episode eight gonna get here like i want to see the story keep going to see where it goes like instead you guys it comes here next christmas yeah, I know that's next Christmas, but at the end of episode seven, I was I'm ready for episode eight. Like, come on! So, so no, I I can't get because at least those I think that story progresses a bit more than the Marvel because if every Marvel film you're like, oh, more origin story, more origin story, but you know, pushes it along a little bit and then more origin story. So it's not the same as as the Marvel universe. I think I think every sort of new Star Wars installment pushes the the myth a little bit forward, and even Rogue One is so far removed from the current trilogy that is like okay well we i don't mind going back that far um and and if they do make uh, uh another uh a sequel about another death star plan i'd like to see how the bothans die yes that's that's the big question but yeah. you know what bothans look like right yeah they, they're pretty ugly <laughs> <laughs> they, they, they basically look like dogs that walk on two legs yeah. <laughs> Do you really want to see a film about these people, about these creatures? I'm sorry. They, they, they really look like dogs. Have you ever seen them? They're just like you know, yeah. it's just like they they they, 
<laughs> they're like they're like oh, I can't even remember. They're like uh, they're kind of like, they're like half like, horse people. They have horse faces to some extent, but they've got a kind of a weird mustache thing going to with sideburns, big ears. They look like a, spe- a, spe- a particular breed of dog, but I can't remember suddenly what they are. Um, uh, damn it! I wish I could remember. But you know, it doesn't matter. But, but yeah, they, they 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 look like canines. You know, I, I, you know, if 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 you, if you make this film, it's it's like you're watching. Uh, it's like oh god, I, I don't even know what I would compare it to. Secret Life of Pets, right? It could <laughs> be my giant god. rats. Yes, giant yeah, rats. Yeah. You know, many Bothans died. Giant rats. <laughs> and we, and in, a, in a heist movie. Yes. What will we do with all the dog food? It, it'd be like the Teenage Ninja Turtles movie. So what's all of that? Yeah. You know, but frankly, I, no offense, but the fact that who I don't know who's talking about Rogue Two. Who's talking yeah. about this? No, it's just come up in a couple of discussions. You know that if this film does well, there's there's always the possibility of doing a Rogue Two to tell that story as an individual standalone story too. Really, that's like escaping the bottom of the barrel, okay? I mean, like, come on. (laughs) You can come up with another story somewhere in Star Wars besides that one. I mean, like, we already know what happened once, so we have to see it. And considering that, like, out of the how many Star Wars films have we had? Ten live-action Star Wars films? Three of them involve blowing up a Death Star. Okay? (laughs) And four of them end with a Death Star. Do we really want to see another one? No. You know, I'm, I'm tired of the Death Star. Actually, that's the one thing in Star Wars I'm really tired of. The Death Star. No more. You know, I'm sorry. You know, so blow up something else. Or, like, you know, take on something else. Or, you know, cut someone is, else. Well, the, there is no bigger weapon than the Death Star. They, I mean, where else do you go after the Death Star? Well, no, they had yeah, that George, in episode George 7. Really, it, was, it was the Death Planet, right? I mean. Yes, it was the Star Killer base. The Star Killer base. It's like, ooh. Next, they have like, to, next in episode 8, it's going to be an entire solar system of planets together that converge to wipe out entire Into a galaxies. Big, yeah, know, big laser, yeah. I really want actually you know what I really want to see? They should make a film about the guy who invented the Star Killer base. We don't even know who he is. So what can be is like, you know, it's like you can have the scene where he goes, what will we call it? And someone goes, I know, the Death Star and then people are like No. <laughs> now just going to Clerk's territory where they talk about the contractors who built the who built the Death Star. This <laughs> is a story. Come on, you know, let's make this story. I mean, come on. The contractors you know, of the Death Star. Who else in the Star Wars universe would you like them to make a story about? I mean, okay, there are a lot of other people. What about a real Ewoks movie? Didn't we already have two of <laughs> those? Okay, how about this? Doesn't anyone want to know the story behind Boss Nass? <laughs> like, what the hell does Bombad mean anyway? You know, you can learn about this stuff. They can tell that story. Everyone loves, you know, the Gungans and, uh, and uh, I don't, all I don't that think crap. Anyone's gonna, yeah. Send I don't your mail to uh, Webmaster Kozo at... Uh... <laughs> or how about, better yet, a Star Wars film with only one actor, Tamara Morrison. <laughs> he plays everybody. And you know what? It would make sense. Honestly, I don't think I'm going to be surprised if we do finally get a Boba Fett movie. Uh, the Boba Fett movie is is, is they, they they'll talk about it forever. I mean, you know, it's one of those things that you know they'll they'll talk about. You know, what about the Wookiee movie? Come on! Oh, hey, that was Young that Yoda. Was the, that was the Christmas episode special, three. wasn't it? Young Yoda. Episode three. Actually, the movie I wanted to see was the one where like 
you saw the the early days of Mace Windu and Qui Gon Jinn piling around the galaxy. You know, Mace Windu with the big fro. <laughs> oh hell, I watched that. What is that called? Jedi, yeah, yeah. Jedi fiction. Yes, <laughs> Jedi there's fiction. A where, yeah, there's a scene where uh, Mace Windu accidentally lightsabers a guy in the face. Yeah, I, I would be so down with that. That would be ultimate. You know, and and you know, Yoda could play Quentin Tarantino's character. <laughs> All right, I think that's going to wrap it up for our discussion of Rogue One. Thanks again, guys, for your input. If you would like to be part of the show, you can get in touch with us via the website at concast.com. Our Twitter handle is Twitter at Concast. You can email us eastscreen at gmail.com, and you can find us over on Facebook at East S West S. Our theme music was composed by Rob Jabor of Schnauzer Radio Orchestra. Researches come from a variety of sources, but primarily lovehkfilm.com and the Hong Kong Movie Database. We also get a tremendous amount of moral support from listeners like you. I would like to extend a big thank you to Ross Chen of lovehkfilm.com for stopping in and sharing his thoughts with us on both the films. And also, please stop over at his site to check out the 2015 Love HK Film Awards. Um, some interesting entries there, and also, you know, the ever-humorous, funny entries are there as well, so be sure to go and read through all of those, um, and, uh, you know, it's, it's a good time will be had by all. If, if you don't plan to watch the films, you can at least read the reviews. Um, also, I want to urge you to follow along with what Kevin is doing through the holidays and beyond. So, Kevin, where can they find out more about you? Well, you can read my writing on uh, Discovery and Sibrope magazines, especially Discovery. Uh, December, as I mentioned last time, uh, there's an interview with uh, Johnny Toe. Uh, I wrote an article about uh, a Korean film named Tano, um, also about the uh, the Bourne trilogy. Um, wow. Yeah, so we. Yeah, read those, and uh, or you can get the uh, iPad app uh, on the uh, iPad iTunes iPad app store. Um, yeah, or you can follow me on Twitter uh, at the Golden Rock, uh, or you can email me at the Golden Rock at gmail.com. All right, excellent. Um, Ross, aside from your site, lovehkfilm.com, is there any other social media or any other things you'd like to plug? Mm, not especially. I mean, you know, you can find me. The site is like, you know, updated like four times a year at the most, which is like amazing. Um, so, you know, you can find me on social media. And, you know, if you go to the site, you can find my social media account or you can visit the lovehkfilm.com group on Facebook. Or uh, you can email me through there if you, you know, want to know what the hell I'm doing. But, yeah, it's nothing new. All right. Excellent. Our next show will be episode 212 sometime in 2017. Uh. So all of that and more, we don't know what we're going to be talking about then, but we'll be talking about something. Until then, this is the East Green, West Green podcast saying, you are one with the Force, the Force is one with you. Happy holidays, and we'll see you next year. Happy holidays, everybody. See you next year. Bye-bye.